The following program was made possible by Ward's Lawyers. Find us at wardlegal.ca. Middle of my eight years, my two terms, we reduced our council in half. Fewer big personalities, probably easier to manage. With a looming municipal election, Mayor Andy Latham is poised to not be mayor. We sit down with a two-term mayor who shares why he stuck to his promise to not go beyond two terms and what he's learned since he first took the gig some eight years ago. In our last episode, we spoke with the director of a forthcoming documentary about the Highland Cinemas and its fascinating owner, Keith Stata. Well, on this episode, we talk to Keith about the beloved seasonal cinema's past, unique year, and what the future holds. Girls Night Out is a nationally touring all-woman cast of professional comedians of the stand-up and improv and sketch nature with two upcoming shows at The Lab. We connect with the performer and Kawartha Lake's neighbor who made it all happen, Janine Profeta. And is going small really going to solve a big problem? We explore that too. My name is Denny Gringell and this is the Advocate Podcast, stories from Kawartha Lakes. There is in Kawartha Lakes, just like in most communities across Canada, a crushing shortage of affordable housing. It affects families, single people, students, pretty much anyone who can't afford a proper, safe and comfortable home. More than one person running in the upcoming municipal election has proposed what they believe is a viable solution to this dearth of housing. Tiny homes. You can pause here if you like and, and Google what a tiny home is, unless you already know that it's, well, a tiny house. Less than 600 square feet and usually about three to 400 square feet. Often built on a flat bed with wheels, but not necessarily, and still offering the basic, if usually smaller and rudimentary, amenities of a regular home. It's rooted in a philosophy of living with less stuff, but is it practical, especially here in Kawartha Lakes? Alicia Strobach grew up in Bethany. She and her wife, Vic Barron, built a tiny home and trucked it to Calgary, where they lived in it for about a year. Alicia is back in the area, not living in a tiny home. However, she joins me on the line. Hey, Alicia, thanks for making time for us. Yeah, no problem. In a few sentences, can you describe what your tiny home looks like? Yeah, so it was on a 24-foot um, tiny house trailer. It was specifically, the trailer was designed for a tiny house. Um, you walk in um, right into the living room where, where there was like an Ikea L-shaped couch where you could pull it out to a double bed. Um, and then to your left, you would have the galley kitchen and you'd have stairs up to the loft. And then through the galley kitchen was the bathroom. I get the sense already that a lot of it was stuff that could be folded up when you mentioned Ikea, a fold-out bed. Yeah, so everything um, in a tiny house needs to have two or three purposes. Um, so that was our essentially our guest room. <laughs> um, we had the loft for ourselves. My parents came out and visited us, and so there was four of us uh, sleeping in the tiny house for about a week. So. Oh, yeah. okay. Well, I want to get to yep. that in a moment, but I, why don't we go back? What prompted you to go this route versus just buying an existing small regular house? Because I know you and your wife are, are handy uh, and mm -hmm. a lot of people might've thought that, well, why didn't they just buy a place and just renovate it on their own? Yeah. So our goal was to be um, mortgage-free by the time we were like 35. 
obviously that has not happened. <laughs> um, and with the tiny house, we sh- uh, quickly realized that wasn't going to be possible either. Um, so I think one of the main issues with tiny houses is where to put it. And so we had to rent land and the land rental was quite expensive. It ended up not being cost saving. I think people are like, oh, tiny house, it's cheap. And it's like, no, you'll spend like twice as much per square foot than a normal house to build it. How practical would it be if, let's say, I had room in my backyard and it was zoned that I could put a tiny home in there and I either rented it out or one of my sons or whoever decided to live there. Just the actual lifestyle of living in that house. What was that like? I don't think tiny living is for everyone, first off. If you get on each other's nerves, there's no room to go um, somewhere else. Um, So typically, like I've met quite a few people that lived in a tiny house and we're all outdoorsy to an extent doesn't mean you have to be but you have to when we do have that beautiful weather you utilize the outside as much as possible so that becomes a massive extension of your house the practicality of living in a tiny house I think it's great if you're someone that does not want to be part of the consumer lifestyle and you want to live minimally. So, you know, you can't have that massive wardrobe. You have to like prioritize what do you want. For me, I've always been someone that's moved a lot. And so I think in my 20s, I I could move everything in my little Nissan Versa. So um, the transition to tiny living um, wasn't a huge thing for me. Vic and I spent a year planning our tiny house. So that included from like designing our tiny house and then figuring out what stuff we needed to get rid of, what stuff is important in our lifestyle. So I think tiny houses need to be custom. So I love cooking. So we have, we had a bigger kitchen in our tiny house. Uh, If you're someone that eats out all the time, then you can have a bigger living space. So those sort of things can make the adjustment to a tiny living easier. How did you come to the compromise with Vic that when it came to those things that maybe she wanted and you weren't as quite invested in? Yeah, totally. Um, So I had the bigger kitchen and she likes that because I cook for her. (laughs) Um, And then she picked out the couch. So we designed the living room like completely around the couch. um, And then we found our heat source, the propane um, stove and that was something that she really wanted. So what was it like on those coldest days? Honestly, winter was the reason why we stopped living in the tiny house. The one thing I think people don't think of when, you know, maybe they want to go tiny is how to design a tiny house for the winter. Being on a trailer, you have burst foundation. Um, We were also off grid. So that's a whole other, (laughs) we could talk about that for an hour. The problem is you have a steel trailer that gets extremely cold and then you get the um, inside of the tiny house nice and toasty. And what happens with that floor, you can only insulate it so much. Um, And then we did find that we were getting like some mold issues and condensation buildup. And granted, like we've learned a lot from that. So if we were to build another one, we'd do it a little bit differently. We had a stretch of two and a half weeks of minus 30 and that's... Un- unbelievably challenging. I'm sure. I think, yeah, I'm yeah. sure it is. You actually hinted earlier, Alicia, that if we were to build one again, 
Yeah. Is that a possibility? Funny enough, I'm going to a career of real estate, so <laughs> I've kind of jumped ships there a bit. Well, we both want to build again, but it wouldn't be deemed a tiny house. I think like for us, we were living 286 square feet, and that's including a 100-foot loft. We love the idea of living like relatively small. Like, you know, our house now is just under 1,000 square feet. Having that little extra space, you know, in the winter to get away from somebody is always kind of nice. Well, maybe going to 276 square feet has allowed you to adjust to 1,000 square feet. Let's, <laughs> exactly. Let's yep. put a positive spin on that. Mm -hmm. For that person who's toying with this idea of going, you know, I think I could do this. I'm a, I'm a single person. Uh, I don't have a family. I'm just going to be one person. What advice would you offer them if they're thinking of going this route? I think if someone's been comfortable living in, you know, especially people coming from like the GTA living in a tiny apartment, probably the transition would be pretty easy. But I think if someone like wants to do it, what like what are their reasons for doing it? You know, if it's to get ahead financially, it might not be the most reasonable thing to think about. If it's to, you know, live without a large footprint for environmental reasons, I mean, that's an excellent idea to go tiny. Um, and then again, you know, if you're thinking you're never going to be able to afford a house, um, which is very much a, a, like a realization some people are having, um, tiny it could be a good option. Maybe not building it, but, you know, renting it out from someone that has built it or buying it after it's been built. Alicia Struback grew up in Bethany. She and her wife, Vic Barron, built and lived in a tiny house for about a year. My name is Riley Ray from Ward's Lawyers and Lindsay, your official sponsor of the Advocate podcast, Stories from Kortha Lakes. There are not a lot of independent movie theaters left in this country, and I can say with confidence that of those that do remain, None are like the Highland Cinemas in Kinmount, which is as much movie memorabilia museum as it is five screens. And none are owned and operated by a man like Keith Stata, who is Kinmount born and raised, a big lover of all things movies and cats. Yes, cats. He rescues and shelters dozens of cats and it keeps them in this labyrinth, this really cool labyrinth of outdoor catwalks and cages and, and cares for them. Keith and his cinemas and the cats are the subject of a forthcoming documentary. We spoke with Matt Finlan, its director, in our last episode. Well, this week, I sat down with Keith in one of his five cinemas shortly after the final screenings of the season. It has been, and this is an understatement, it has been a trying couple of years for the Kinmount Institution. I wanted to know how Keith has managed all of this and what the future is for the beloved movie theaters. Now, if you've never met Keith, and Matt Finland hinted at this, Keith can can initially come across as a bit curmudgeonly at first, until you realize it's in a kind, comfortable, cozy, and very welcoming kind of way. Here's my conversation with Keith Stata. Well, let me put it this way. There was some apprehension about reopening the theater because of the fact that 
we didn't know how it was going to go because everybody hid for two years, including myself. So, and then there was the issue with the city court lakes. We sold a lot, which we'd owned for 45 years, and they changed the zoning bylaw and screwed it all up. So that, instead of starting last fall, I basically said, well, I'm going to have to borrow money to do this, so I'm not going to do it until spring, which was six weeks we had to get open. So we actually didn't get everything open. The back hall's not done. A lot of displays weren't done. So the spring was spectacular, uh, much better than normal. July was great. Uh, August, we were running ahead of 2019 figures, but by the middle of August, Hollywood had no movies, and the movies that they had, nobody wanted to see, so it started to crash and burn. So for 40 years, we've stayed open until Thanksgiving. But next year, I'm going to think about it because this year we should have closed about the second week of September because it has been horrible. Because the minute uh, the summer ended, there was nothing to run. There was nothing coming out of August that we could keep that would do anything. Either COVID is on people's minds or I think it's more something else. I think the summer is over. We're back to normal. Uh, there's so much shit streaming. This is affecting the theaters. The stream, you, the, they have to make up their mind if they want to stream or supply theaters. It can't be both. There's a lot of stuff on the streaming services that's better than what's in the theater. So on the Lord of the Rings thing they're doing, why wouldn't you do that and release it in the theaters for two, a two-month window or a month window, get your money, and then put it on streaming? Because that's where the money is. So it, it suffice it to say that I'll bet you $10 that the best movie this last weekend was the same as what was the best movie all summer since May 27th, and that's Top Gun. Thor was so-so. Uh, we took a chance with Crawdads, and it, out, it outdid Thor, which oh. speaks volumes about our audience. So if you look at Elvis, Top Gun, and, and Crawdads, that appeals to an older, more mature audience. We get families here and we get the mature audiences, the teenagers are in between, and they're the waffling ones, they're the ones that are busy bootlegging stuff, and, and so to a degree, that destroys that portion of the audience. So I'm not sure where this is all gonna go. They're gonna have to come to grips with the streaming problem. Now you can look back, this, the summer's over, you can, you're sitting down, you can rest. What does this moment mean to you now? Can, can you relax, or are, are you already thinking about spring 2023? Well, well first of all, most people think that I go to Florida or something. I've never been to Florida. So anyway, the, the way it works is it's 100 hours a week I usually put in. That's normal. So what's it going to be now? Well, it's, it's going to be about close to the same, except I'll get a couple hours to watch a movie at night. Because <laughs> the cats chew up 40 hours. There's eight bush cords of wood I burn in the winter. Uh, there's 900 feet of paths that have to be kept clear of ice because I'm not breaking my bloody ankle again. On top of that, there is the fact that we need to really do all the displays over this winter. We need to get the back hall open. It wasn't done. There's a list a mile long of stuff that has to be done. Um, to give you an idea, there's things around here that were 25 years ago supposed to be finished that aren't. Uh, the telescope roof, I cut the steel for it for the telescope roof uh, five years ago. It's still sitting up there. It's not on the roof. It's just sitting on the other roof. So my problem is not too much to do and not enough time. So you're not going to relax much, now that, despite any, the fact there, that the there, movies are done, no, the last film? No, nothing changes except I get a little bit more sleep. And, and I get to watch, I've got 3,000 movies on Blu-ray. I probably have seen 1,000. 
So the question is, I need to work on that problem. When I broke my ankle, I got to see lots of things. So I think that what I really need to do is to try and, and get this done while I'm still here, because when you're dead, it's kind of hard to watch them. So I, where we're really at is that nothing much changes around here, except that I get, I'm not under pressure to get a lot of stuff done. A simplest problem around here always seems to be a bigger problem than it started out to be. And yet you do it every year, Keith. Well, so yeah, okay, can yeah. we look to 2023? Or are oh you, yeah, uh, we're reopening on May the 5th. My hope is that next year there will be more movies for our audience and more movies in general. Um, we were gone for two years. And there's that old saying that absence makes the heart grow fonder. And if I got it figured out right, what happened was we pretty much were taken for granted. And then there was the issue, are we going to reopen the place or liquidate everything and just retire and put my feet up uh, and look after the cats? Or So I think that I had literally thousands of comments this year. Um, guy from Phoenix, Arizona said, you have no, much, no idea how much joy this place brings. Somebody from Minden, who's about my age, said, you have no idea how much pleasure this place brings. And every night I get people attacking me. The one that really got me was the 26-year-old kid, because that generation's not really into getting sentimental about much. And he stopped me as I was trying to get out the door to turn the lights on in the parking lot. And he said, do you own the place? And I said, yeah. And he said, uh, well, I just want to tell you, I started coming here with I, when I was six. I'm 26, and I just love the place. And I got that, and I got that, and I got that. So... So is that what's keeping you going, Keith? I mean, well, is, that, is that why you it, didn't retire? Well, retirement was never on the, on the books because I'd be bored shitless. And I enjoy the theater. And I enjoy the fact that people enjoy the theater. That's what it was all about. There you go. It's official. Keith Stata and his Kinmount Movie Theater will be back. Stella Panacci is a singer-songwriter we featured in our January 1 episode. Now, if you missed it, not to worry. It is still available to stream or to download. Just go to your favorite streaming platform. Well, Stella has an album set to be released in the very near future, but she was kind enough to send us one of its tracks, a song she says she wrote about 20 years ago, inspired by her then-regular visits to family in Kawartha Lakes, which, it's important to note, Kawartha Lakes is now her home. This is Stella Panacci with Out of This Town.
from her yet-to-be-named forthcoming album that was Stella Panacci with Out of This Town. Coming up, I sit down with our outgoing mayor. It was not a rash decision by any means. Back in the spring of 2021, Mayor Andy Lethem made it known that he would not seek re-election in 2022. Go back even further to 2014, when at the behest of his family, he insisted he would not be more than a two-term mayor. Well, the end of that second term is in about two weeks. Maybe that final day feels like it's right around the corner for Mayor Lethem, or maybe it feels like it's still far away in the distance. We'll ask the man himself. Mayor Andy Lethem is seated across from me at his office in City Hall in Lindsay. Mayor Lethem, thank you so much for making time for us. No problem. Thanks for having me. Okay, so how far away does October 24 feel right now for you? Uh, it's coming up pretty fast. Uh, it's been a, a quieter couple of months than usual, so a little bit more time to just reflect on some of the things we've done, uh, what we've accomplished and things like that. But uh, we are still, until they swear the new council in on November 15th, even after the election on the 24th, we're still uh, technically the council and the mayor. So what have those two months been like as mayor, knowing that you aren't going to be um, seeking re-election, knowing that th yeah. there is like an end game. What was it like just those two months every day? To, Honestly, day -to -day? it's been kind of hard. Um, I, I, I thought at one point uh, about resigning uh, just because I feel like I'm in limbo, um, collecting a paycheck, but not really earning it, uh, you know. Um, I, but then I recognize that there's still some responsibilities. There's still some meetings that we're doing. I would say I'm not getting that list of emails every day. Uh, people are now contacting others, obviously, for some of their issues or waiting to see how things unfold. So, uh, you know, I'm just sort of doing some things and keeping my nose in it. And I'm here if somebody needs me answering questions, answering emails when needed. But that uh, that workload has been reduced dramatically. You had to take a couple of runs at this gig before you actually landed the job. And you had an established career that you had to forego to take this on. So what made you persevere? Why, why did you want the gig not only once, but twice? I just, I guess I felt that I had a lot to offer. Um, you know, the, the past business experience, uh, when I first ran, um, I felt that was lacking a bit at City Hall, just bringing up business perspective to, to the council table, um, you know, and, and that leadership of running a business. So, so I, I felt it was something I really wanted to do and something that the city needed at the time. So I persevered. Um, it wasn't easy. And after the second time I lost, uh, to Rick McGee, I, I honestly said, that's fine. You know, I gave it a shot. I'm not going to do it again. But then when, you know, when Rick resigned and it sort of came around that third time and I said, hey, somebody said to me one day, you know, you don't, uh, you can hit a lot of home runs with two strikes. So, you know, and, and so don't give up, go for that third time. And uh, I decided I would give it one more shot and, uh, and it worked out. So was there ever a time when you wanted to take back that promise to your family to not go beyond two terms? Did you ever toy with the idea of going, no, I'm going to see if I can go for three years? No, I never really did. No? Um, I kind of had it in my mind. It was a bit of a, a life plan that if they'd have me for two terms, I would do the two terms. I never really, you know, to me, if you can't accomplish what you want to do in two terms, you're not going to accomplish it. 
that's your run at it. And, and after that, it, you know, for, for, I don't know how some people are mayors for 20 or 30 years to me, it just becomes a job. And, and I don't think that's fair to the constituents. You need to, you need to dive in, you need to give it all you've got and, uh, it takes a lot out of you. So, you know, I, I can feel myself in the last year, uh, running out of gas. Um, so I knew it was the right decision that had been made and uh, that's why I made it fairly early and uh, time for somebody else to pick up the ball. Well, you mentioned the last year and if we take it back even further, a, a two and a half years to March 2020 when all of this happened, yeah. there are a lot of political leaders across Canada at, at various levels of government that cashed it in said, yeah. okay, that's it. I, I got to step down. And, and I think even the lay person would, would realize that it had to be extremely exhausting. Did you ever have those moments of wanting to say, maybe it's time to just, this is too much. I, I need to step away and give uh, yeah, the ring to someone else. Not really. Um, you know, it was a curveball. There's no doubt about it. Uh, not just from a political perspective, but for, for the world, uh, for everybody out there. And, and I think what made it the hardest was, you know, we had on over on this side where people thought it was a complete hoax to this side where people were afraid to leave their home you know, seniors would call and I haven't been out in six months and, you know, and then everybody in between. And it's, you know, it's, it's how do you meet those expectations? And there was no blueprint for it. It never happened before. So it was, you know, everybody did their best. How did you uh, meet those expectations? Well, you just do your best. You know, we tried to communicate to people. We tried to let them know what was going on. I mean, we followed obviously the provincial lead of, of what we needed to do. We stayed going forward on a lot of our capital projects here, which a lot of municipalities didn't. Some of the bigger projects, we were able to to keep them moving forward. But uh, I'd be lying if I said it didn't take a lot out of you. You know, uh, there's a lot of good politicians, local and uh, different layers, levels around the province that are giving it up because of, I don't say the nastiness, but I think people, you know, people's expectations and their some people are mean and that got raised to a whole nother level. And I talked to people that said, I've never seen anything like this. You know, it's like all of a sudden we've become, this is our fault. And, and, you know, they're taking it out on us as local politicians. And, you know, we got a little bit of that. And I know some of our counselors took, uh, had a good thought about whether they want to do this again. How did you take all of that stuff and, and, and just come compartmentalize it and go, I can't deal with that right now. Yeah, well, you just do. I don't know if you have another choice, right? You just come home and, and you rely on your, you know, I got a, a great wife who who sat would sit and listen to me some days. And, you know, some of those days weren't very good when you come home. And uh, like you say, it never it never really ended. And, and you know, you got to talk to somebody and you talk it out and you get up and you do it again. And you realize that as, as tough as it is for you, there's people out there that, you know, it's even tougher for them. And, and sometimes they're just reaching out because they don't know what else to do and they're struggling. Any city council, any government, regardless of its political stripe, is going to include big personalities. So what was the biggest challenge for you or, or, or the learning curve, without mentioning names, of course, in, in managing those big personalities? I guess it's, it's the second term. So, you know, you kind of knew what you were getting into. Um, you know, keep in mind that uh, in the middle of my eight years, my two terms, we reduced our council in half. Um, so fewer big personalities, I guess. Fewer big personalities, probably easier to manage, you know, a smaller group than it is the, the 17 that, that were here in the first, the first four years. But it depends on the group. So council is a team sport, you know, and, and that's what I try to tell people. It's, you know, some of the new counselors that used to come to me and say, you know, I want to do this. It's not what you want to do. It's what you can convince the rest of council you want to do because you could have the best idea in the world. And if you can't convince anybody else it's a good idea, you're not going to get anywhere with it. What advice could you pass on to that forthcoming mayor, the next person who, who takes on, who's going to be sitting at this desk across from me right now? Um, I try not to 
pass on too much. You know, I mean, I, I would hope that they build on the foundation and the hard work that we've done over the last eight years. We've put some good pillars in place, you know, a financial plan and, and some different things with capital projects and more money going into our roads and such. You know, but even beyond the actual job, what, what advice can you tell them in terms of just what to, you talked about the nastiness of yeah. social media, just all of that and, and, and leaving it at, at work. What advice can you give them that there's no way they'll be able to appreciate until they're in that chair right don't there. take it personally i think that's the biggest advice i can give you is you know recognize what you're walking into there's a quadrant of people a percentage of people out there that wake up miserable they go to bed miserable there's nothing you're going to do to change and just you're going to have that's you know they're your constituents too and you're going to have to deal with them and you just need to be honest with them you know tell them when they're wrong uh get the information that they're looking for but don't take crap you know, there's no reason that any of us have to take crap from people. If somebody wants to talk to me and have an honest conversation about things they disagree, I'll sit and talk to them all day long. If they want to, you know, start off an email with a cuss word or a swear word or something, you know, you idiot is the first sentence. And I just delete it. You know, I'm not the least bit interested in having that conversation with them. So, um, you know, be respectful both ways. You know, you want to talk to your council or your mayor, be respectful. And if you're the mayor or the council and you want to talk to your constituents, be respectful back. And there's no reason we can't get through this. How have the past eight years affected your relationship with the community as just a resident now? Well, I certainly... I think appreciate the city more than I did when I got here. You know, you kind of have your own little world that you're you're a part of and, you know, where you happen to go in the community, but it's a pretty special place. We're a city made up of a community of neighborhoods and, and I, I think it's, it's an awesome, and I will say to people, get out and explore. And uh, we got some amazing people and some amazing businesses and tucked away in corners and, you know, you probably wouldn't realize or ever have found if I wasn't, you know, at a ribbon cutting or, or in a community for whatever reason. So uh, I think I've got as much out of it uh, as, as hopefully I've given to the community as well. Hi, my name is Andy Lutham. I live in Cameron. And you're listening to The Advocate Podcast, stories from Kawartha Lakes. I'm one of those parents. I've got kids. I couldn't get a sitter tonight. My kids are in the car. That is just a snippet from the Girls' Night Out promotional video. Girls' Night Out is a clever blend of professional stand-up, improv, and sketch comedy featuring, yes, an all-woman cast of comedians, whom you'll recognize from appearances on CBC Radio, TV, NBC, Just for Laughs, just to name a few esteemed carriers of good comedy. That was Elvira Kurt there you heard off the top doing stand-up. This show has toured Canada for about 15 years, but get this. Girls' Night Out has its origins right here in Kawartha Lakes, specifically the Lakeview Arts Barn in Bob Cajun. That's where you can catch Girls' Night Out for two shows, October 21 and 22. Cajun, which is how we locals refer to it, is also the home, not so coincidentally, of the show's impresario and founder, actor, writer, producer, comedian Janine Profeta. We've reached Janine at home in Cajun. Janine, thanks for coming on the program. 
Yeah, I'm so thrilled to be here. Hey, and we're happy that you're here. Take us back 15 years when you had this little nugget of an idea for a kind of cabaret show that you wanted to mount. Well, I had at that point, I just gotten off cruise ships. Uh, my husband and I were working for on cruise ships for the second city doing sketch and improv and came back to dry land and went, uh, what what happens next? And uh, we had been coming up this way doing shows with uh, Globus Theatre, um, first at the Academy and Lindsay and then at the barn. And um, uh, that's around the time that Sarah Quick, uh, yeah, founder of Globus Theatre. She had this idea. She wanted to have a show that featured all female comedians and basically said, hey, I know you know a lot of people. Do you want to put something together? And that was the start of it. And that was 15 years ago. And we've been doing it almost every year since. Bob Cajun is now your your home. Like you decided yes. to move here in in that stretch. Uh, yeah. and, and and I know you've performed this show a couple of times at the at the lab. That's got to be a different dynamic when you're going to recognize people in the audience. You may bump into them the next day at Big Lee's or Kawartha Dairy. How did that affect your performance once you became a local? Well, it's funny when I look out from the stage and I can recognize 75% of the audience because they're like the the parents of my um, my kids' friends and uh, other people, yeah, neighbors and that. So it is very different and they've seen my shtick so many times, so I have to keep it fresh. <laughs> How does that compare to when you're on those cruise ships performing and you know you're <clears throat> never going to see these people again, knowing that you are going to see them? Maybe I mind my you know, my I's and T's a little bit more. Um, but, uh, but I also know it's a fun group up here. Like they, we get the biggest laughs when we come up here and it's, it's like family, it's a coming home. So we, we had a bit of a, well, we've always had a rotating cast. So it's funny, like some of the people that first performed with me have gone on to do like NBC's superstore. Like I've lost a lot of people to Hollywood, (laughs) which is a good thing. I have no problem with that. Uh, but there was at one point with Elvira, Elvira Kurt, um, who's always been a shero of mine, and I got to be on her show, Adventures in Comedy, back twenty uh, something years ago. <laughs> and uh, uh, her and I met up, and I just uh, I told her what I was doing, and she was interested and you know curious because her background was that when she started out, in addition to doing stand up, she was part of Second City and the touring company. So she, the idea of doing some improv appealed to her, and having somebody else on stage. So that's really when things kicked off for us. You hinted that, you know, it's a small community and you know all of these people. And, and I know it's uh, it can be very familiar. Let's face it, uh, you know, sometimes friends may not always be the best fit for a particular kind of show. So how do you go about <laughs> selecting performers that you know, uh, despite being great friends, you need them to be great fits for this kind of show? How, how do you bounce that? Great question. Uh, that's something I learned from the Second City producers because when they used to put us on cruise ships, it was as they were hiring us as much for talent as our personalities and our ability to get a, along with people. And on the cruise ship, they used to call me the mayor because I just enjoyed talking to everybody and shaking hands and kissing babies. And uh, not that I was writing for mayor, but um, uh, but that was a really big lesson for me. So I'm very mindful of the community here and because I love the community and I care about it. I only want to bring up the best and um, and also just people that will, you know, when they when they go, you know, get their coffee in town or go to Big Lee's because we always do that. Um, I know that they're going to be nice to everybody. But but that said, like, I, I don't have any there's nobody I wouldn't ask. And of my performer friends who, again, are like busy writing for television and stuff like that, they that have been here, they always want to come up. So if anything, I have a plethora of people to choose from. And I'd love to do a show one day where I have like 20 women on the stage and just show what we can do and then just love on the audience um, as we're doing it. How do you create that balance between improv 
and and stand-ups because those can be two very distinct camps. Yeah, it's very different because uh, stand-ups are used to being alone and um, having to like save the moment if they need to, like as we witnessed with that stand-up who had the beer can thrown at him recently. But yeah, they have to fend for themselves, right? Whereas with improv, there's two or three of us on stage so we can take care of each other. So uh, yeah, I think, you know, for the stand-ups, they definitely have to take a step back and get used to a, being in a group rather than just themselves. Um, I also know there's been some stand-ups we've brought up here that are that I went through improv classes with in Second City, and then they get up here and they're like, no, 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 I don't want to do improv. It's too terrifying. And to me, that's like, that's the safest thing, because if you don't know what to say, there's somebody else there to say it. But I think the interesting like uh, point where they come together is that we all have writer brains. And so for me, listening to Elvira just ask questions about the town, and then she'll bring it into her act later, um, has been a really interesting influence. There was The first time we brought her up here, she was sitting in the back of the car and we drove by Pigeon Lake where it's all weedy and everything mm -hmm. and uh, she's just like oh what's what's that lake and what's with all those weeds and stuff like that are they always there and then during her act that night she's just like yeah Pigeon Lake what's with that it, it really needs a wax you know it could use a good Brazilian and as improvisers we're always writing on stage in the moment so I think it's that exchanging of ideas and then having to have a respect so that the flow happens back and forth it's nice to share the stage with a stand-up and just it keeps us on our toes a little bit more and I know it's the same for Elvira too. So maybe they aren't as exclusive camps as uh, one might expect. Maybe, maybe <laughs> there's a lot of commonality there that they just have to find that, that gap and bridge it. Yeah, it, I mean, they're different skill sets for sure. So it's just whether you're willing to share the stage with the other person. And thankfully, I have to say, like amongst the women, uh, it's been a lot easier to do that than sometimes with the boys. I can believe that. Hmm. Okay, yeah. well, speaking of the boys and, and females, this is very much built. Its namesake is Girls Night Out. So what would yeah. you tell me as a non-female if I were thinking, hey, this sounds... <laughs> This sounds like a, a, a good show. Is, is it a good idea for the fellas to go or hell yeah yeah no we all we've often had men in the audience and one of my favorite people to have in the audience was norm foster the canadian playwright we had once he had a great time and we dragged him up on stage and i think we terrified him a little bit but that was okay he he, he lived through it um uh no forget you guys like yeah no we'd love to have you come it's not meant to be some kind of a secret society meeting or anything i love it when there's one male in the audience and you know we usually find out his name and pick on him all night but you can hide in the shadows and we won't pick on you too much. Well, I may be that guy lurking in the shadows. I'll be very, <laughs> very casual, very anonymous. Janine, thanks so much for this. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate it. Hi, I'm Janine Profeta, performer and producer with Girls Night Out. I live here in Bob Cajun, and you are listening to the Advocate Podcast Stories from Kortha Lakes. Dun dun dun. You have two opportunities to catch Girls' Night Out at the Lakeview Arts Barn, Friday, October 21, and Saturday, October 22. It features comic performers Elvira Kurt, Diana Francis, Karen Parker, and making the trek all the way from her home in Bob Cajun, the very funny Janine Profeta. My thanks to her for sitting down to chat with me. Ticket information at lakeviewartsbarn.com. Our show's theme music is courtesy of Gerald Dan Halteran, great musician, great music teacher. Big thanks to Ward's Lawyers for making this show possible since day one, almost, gosh, two and a half years ago. For all your legal needs, find them at wardlegal.ca. The Advocate Podcast, Stories from Corth Lakes, is written, produced, and hosted by me, Denis Grignon. 
who will be making that trek from my home near Dunsford to catch that show at the lab. I'm going to see you there, right? Sure. And talk to you in two weeks. Grove Theater, for instance, in Fenland Falls, people used to say, I had people say to me, we need one of those in Lindsay. And I go, no, we don't. Just get in your car and go to Fenland Falls and visit it. That's the best part of having a, a community made up of all these different communities is you can get out and explore what the Kawartha Lakes has to offer. Mm-hmm.